Welcome to Real Time BI with Kevin and Stewart. I'm Kevin McGinley, and with me always somewhere, anywhere, not sure on the Virgin on screen where he is, Mr. Stuart Bryson. How you doing, sir? Fantastic. I'm listening to Dan's obvious, uh, obviously uh, Google apparatus. Um, <laughs> Um, tell, telling him he's got somewhere more important to be, probably. Yeah, it, kept, it kept ringing during my podcast record with him as well. All right, so with us on the show, uh, two great guests. One who's been here before, one who is a uh, first-timer to the show, uh, Mr. Dan McClary, product manager of BigQuery at Google. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. First time, long time. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, first time. <laughs> you, you don't have to lie, Dan. <laughs> I've always wanted to say it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Even if you, even if you don't mean, mean it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> and Mr. International Man of Mystery himself, uh, independent analyst and the host and creator and all things uh, super... Detailed about the Drill to Detail podcast, Mr. Mark Ripman. Welcome, Mark. Hello, good to be back. Nice to see you again. Yeah, and you can see Dan, it's his first time on here because he's actually sat behind a green screen as well. So uh, we'll have some fun with that probably in edits as well. I'd hope I, I'm hoping so. I really, really, I, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing what comes out of it. If we, yeah. wonder, if we wonder why there's no episodes of Drill to Detail recorded over the next several weeks, <laughs> because Mark is, Mark is in his yes. lab trying to figure out what to do with his green screen background. Remember the time, remember the time that I was late for my own, for my own webcast when we were doing that with you, where I, I found a picture of you and was editing it, and then it was actually late for my own podcast. Is that my, my own webcast doing that? I'm just looking to, you know, to you know, Mark leveraging his green screen skills to like boost my Twitter following. That's yeah. really. He wouldn't do that. It would not a good, not a good way. Not a good way anyway. All news is good. News. It's always a good way, right? Yeah. So for for anyone not familiar with what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> Mark is notorious for photoshopping people's <laughs> photos in very interesting and creative ways. Mostly wow. me. Yes, but I'm glad that now Dan is going to be uh, 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 sort of victim number one. Usually not very flattering, uh, right, but right. always humorous. So looking exactly. forward, well, nice, nice to be anyway. Looking forward to see to see what we get out of this. All right, so since we've got the product manager of BigQuery from Google on here, and thanks for being on, Dan. Really appreciate it. Um, Mark, you are, you know, working with a company that actually is a BigQuery customer, right? So yeah. looking forward to your perspectives here. Um, and Stuart, I don't know what the hell you're going to talk about, whatever, you know. Always surprising. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I expect you guys just to sort of poke the sort of user versus product manager relationship. Right, right, right. He doesn't do uh, that. <laughs> so I guess with, with that, you know, sort of let, let's sort of softball question to start off. You know, what? talk about BigQuery within the context of the Google Cloud Platform and the sort of big data analytics area of the Google, Google Cloud Platform and um, further known as GCP because it's easier to say. Um, you know, talk about that a little bit and, and Mark, you can kind of chime in and whenever you feel like it, you know, with your perspectives on it. So, so I guess, you know, talking about BigQuery, I actually like to take a, a step a little bit further back. Um, so about 10, I guess the paper came out maybe seven years ago or something like that. Uh, Google wrote a paper on a system called Dremel. Um, Dremel has been Google's data warehouse for the last 10 years. Um, this is a massively scaled SQL system that started off as a log processing system and then kind of eventually evolved into being Google's central data warehouse. All, all kinds of things go into it. 80% of Googlers use it. Um, when we measure internal stats for Dremel usage, we measure them in quintillions of rows. Um, which is which is a really interesting you know <laughs> unit of. I don't even know that I know that number. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't measure them in Google's. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're getting there. Um, so so um, we use Dremel internally for a long time, and like I think you know when you come to Google and you're a Googler, one of the first things you, if you like data, you're like, oh, I want to Dremel some stuff, and Dremel's awesome. Well, so BigQuery is Dremel. So BigQuery is. Um, our packaging of the Dremel system as part of GCP for users to use as a cloud-based data warehouse. And so when a user uses BigQuery, they're using Dremel to, to run that computation. 
Um, what we've done is we, we put some some sort of niceties, some guardrails around the system to make it friendlier to to a user and and to require a little less sort of inside inside knowledge. Um, so we manage storage for you, we manage HA for you, um, and we do this in a totally serverless capacity. So you basically put data in, or you show up and query public data, and we just charge you for what you scan. Okay. Um, so just to add my side of it, so we I'm, I'm currently um, working with a company, a startup in London, in the kind of marketing tech space, and they've had a kind of history of using uh, you know, on-premise Hadoop or so HBase and so on. They've used Redshift, they've used all those kind of things, um, and reached the point where um, the kind of scale of what they were doing, more importantly, the, the the kind of the amount of admin work they've been involved in, kind of managing their own infrastructure, meant that it made sense for them to move to Google Cloud Platform. So they're using uh, things like Bigtable, BigQuery, uh, storage, using kind of all, all the stack really, um, and things like kind of PubSub and uh, Cloud Dataflow. The idea with all this is that the as well as the data, as well as the kind of the analytic database that they're using for doing their work, as well as that scaling up, all the infrastructure scales up as well. And it's this concept of kind of serverless, it's this concept of infrastructure as a service, um, is kind of very interesting. So coming from the kind of classic Oracle world to this new world, it's, it's been interesting kind of comparing. Um, yeah, comparing what we used to do, what we do now, and also building a product on it. Is actually work I'm doing is as a product manager, building a product on Dan's platform. Yeah, so that's uh, <clears throat> that's one of the interesting things about the more modern architectures that I've noticed is that we used to, and, and Mark, you know, we've we've built mm -hmm. a gazillion of these things, and Kevin mm -hmm. as well, of these sort of sort of passive data warehouses, so to speak. Uh, where we're, we've got dashboards, but it's really a sort of, um, you know, a, an analyst kind of taking in what, what someone's mm -hmm. building. What I've noticed about um, a lot of the sort of use cases that have been, that, that are, you know, catching the news and that people are talking about, delivery of data is pivotal to some um, you know, business case or use case, such that you're not just delivering data internally to your own sort of analysts, I know that's where Dremel began, Dan, but you know we're delivering it to our customers. There's some there's some pipeline or some workflow where mm. it can't go down, and I think that's one of the analysis is actually the product to some extent. That exactly, and I think that's what's been more interesting about um, uh, you, you know you you don't have time to sit around and wait for servers to be provisioned, Kevin. You know the sort of the time we have when a project kicks off. You just, you know, you can play Jeopardy on how, when some actual work would actually get done. And it's, it's maddening uh, that, uh, that it takes so long to provision servers, and I get why it does. What's great about all of the, and Dan knows we've, got, we've had some, uh, some Google projects lately, and Ke Kevin, as you know, obviously, we've had some Google projects lately. And also some of the cloud-based BI tools. What's really interesting is just day one, you're, you're doing work. And so I, I think if there's anything I could, I could really say about these platforms, both Dan's and, and your competitors, um, there's, a, there's a, the equal amounts, uh, heavy doses of get in and do something with data. That's super refreshing. So, thank, well, one, thank you. But also just, I'd like to take a moment. Can we, can we all just like pour one out for Hadoop? Um, well, yeah. that's where I was gonna go, so. So go, go for it. I mean, go, that's, that's exactly where I was headed based on Mark's comment. So go, what, what's your thought? And, and, I mean, I, I think, you know, you guys, I think, all, all know at least, like, I was really active in the Hadoop community for a while, right? And I contributed to Spark, and, and I spent a lot of time in that, in that environment. I guess I feel like, to Stuart's point, this notion that, like, data is there, just go get work done, was, that was really part of what we were all, all were talking about with Hadoop and Spark. And I think that message is still there. But I think for me, one of the things that's really interesting, sort of living with BigQuery on a daily basis now and, and watching groups like the folks Mark works with, like, you know, from Hadoop and Hive and Spark to, to BigQuery is, you know, it's, it's, it's not sad, but it's really, it's really interesting to me that like that as a technology wave in my, in my mind, like made a bunch of promises and then it just never really got there. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the opposite of it just works. I mean, you, you meant that it was, I mean, Hadoop and all that, all that technology was, was, was incredibly interesting because, because it took so much tinkering, really. I mean, you know, I, I famously had like, you know, six nodes in the, in the, in the garage, I had a sort of cluster there. And actually, I spent all of my time just kind of tinkering with the cluster and adding bits. How, how much of that time, Mark, was around class paths? 
Yeah, I know. And, and just things like, um, yeah, like ABM stack traces. Yeah. So, so I mean, it was it was it was it was the opposite of it just works really. And, and you know, you had to you had to have a lot of kind of knowledge of, of kind of. I know it obviously abstracted the concept of distributed processing and so on, but the actual kind of infrastructure took a lot of work. And to Stuart's point about businesses based around this, the business that I'm kind of working with, Qubit, at the moment, they. That the, the entire business is the data, you know. So they would they their their kind of mission is to is to personalise experiences on people's websites and, and so on. It could only ever happen through data arriving in real time at a sufficient volume to be able to kind of to, to, to do this. And it could, and it can't go down because you know you if you're are uh, if you're running the website of, of a big you know, big US retailer, then you know you can't have it slow down because because this thing is taking a while to, to work. So it could only ever work with this sort of technology. And to the point of about going from Hadoop to this, um, you know, you get these kind of like big days every year, Black Friday, you get things like that. And, and you know, you can't afford for it to go wrong then. And so they spend no time on infrastructure now. And it's all about building beyond that level. And it's, 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 a, it's, it's quite a personal challenge because so much of our own self, sense of self-worth and our expertise is bound up in knowing that kind of intricate infrastructure. And then what you have to do, you have to kind of like, you have to let that go, you've got to move on. And that's quite a hard thing really. So, so I'm curious here because, you know, we still deal with a lot of companies, you know, that, that to them, the Hadoop wave is, is sort of still new and oh. like, you know, because, because the pace at which those companies move is so slow comparatively to the way the industry moves, they're still thinking about, Hey, I need to like stop doing this data warehousing thing and just start dumping all my data in Hadoop. Um, is 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 BigQuery, and we'll get to some of the competitors in a little bit. But um, is is this like the natural? Do you view this as a natural evolution of the sort of Hadoop world, or do you view this as hitting it sort of sideways in an intersection? I, I think it's I, I think it's more. I mean, I'd be curious to know what, what certain Mark think about this, but I think of it as being kind of sideways, right? In so much as you know, for people like Mark and myself who, you know, were there early and tinkered with oh. it, it feels like an evolution to some extent, right? And like, you know, you read the Dremel paper and like, oh, Impala came out, like, oh, this is cool. This is like that thing I read about. Um, but I think for those, those that I think, right, just for those organizations that you mentioned, Kevin, if you're, if you're thinking about like, okay, I'm going to go and evaluate, like how many racks of servers do I need to get? I got to get tiles, yeah. those. Or I could just, you know, like pay twenty bucks a month to Google, and like it's done. Like, I, I almost sometimes wonder if, you know, people, you know, some large organizations don't consider it because it's so cheap. Yeah, yeah. It, unless they pay a lot of money, it's no value. I've, I've, we've had customers over the years. It's like, well, we'd love to use that, but it's open source, so we can't. It's like um, we can't have free. Free's not. Yeah, good. we can't have free. I, I mean. I, I think what's um, I have a slightly different take. Mark was uh, was ahead of me on this on this wave, and 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 I and, and I was not one of the one of the early adopters. <clears throat> I think what's I think what's interesting is that to Mark's point, the technology was almost prohibitive for some organizations. I mean, if you're Facebook or Google and everyone there uh, codes and is an engineer, that's one thing. But that's just not enterprise customers. So I think. I think that big data technology required cloud to penetrate, not necessarily cloud. It didn't have to be cloud, but it required serverless. It required provisioning. It required APIs. It required self-manage and that all that stuff just happens to, to co coexist with the cloud. I yeah. I mean, Go ahead, Mark. For, for, for me, I feel, I feel it quite sad when I see customers now struggling with things like Hadoop because it's a bit like a bit of an evolutionary dead end. It, it, in some respects, some of the stuff that came out of that is very relevant now. So understanding, for example, why joins are more a more expensive in distributed platform, that is a thing you learn from Hadoop and it applies, you know, it applies to lesser extent, but still applies to kind of BigQuery. Um, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are certain techniques and certain understanding, things like key value stores and stuff like that. There's various things that, that are worth knowing. But for anybody that is struggling there with kind of their own infrastructure, I just think, why are you bothering really? Because you're you're not you're not solving the problem that is going to be is it, you're not you're not solving the problem that is, is going to differentiate your business. You're just playing around with, with infrastructure really, and you know it's um, to the point now where all of my home development environment is all running on is running on BigQuery. 
Um, and, you know, I pay a couple of bucks each month or whatever for that. It's not much. I, I think now that any customer that I spoke to in the future, I wouldn't say you've got to evolve through relational into kind of Hadoop into this. I would say just go with this and, and just take the whole problem off the table for, uh, for, for looking after the infrastructure. It's, it's, it's kind of waste. It's empty calories really these days. So is, is that the kind of um, message, is that the right message or, or the, the sort of right way to approach some of these slower moving, bigger enterprise, more complicated or overcomplicating things sometimes? Is that the type of message that sort of gets them on the bandwagon? Because the, 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 the types of people, organizations that, that are sort of the first adopters of mm these platforms tend to be, you know, the, the high tech companies, um, you know, the, the companies that are data centric, they aren't mm. a product centric, they aren't making widgets, they're mm. offering data services or whatever. What, how, how do we get, you know, these other sort of 90% or whatever the real percentage is to kind of come along for the ride? Because we all definitely see sort of clear advantages to platforms like BigQuery and, and, you know, others that we'll talk about. So uh, let, uh, let me put a quick uh, consulting answer in there mm -hmm. and, let the, and then I'll let the product manager speak. But, <laughs> but, uh, I think, I think the, the natural evolution work will occur as, um, as hardware stacks are ready for refreshes. I think, uh, you know, when you've got all this investment um, and to a certain degree things are working, although Kevin and, and Mark, we all know that very few of our customers, you know, have, uh, are, are absent of problems. That's why we're in there is they've got tons of problems and, those, and we need to fix them. So, but I think as natural hardware refresh times come up, uh, the money's going to make a lot of sense. I would argue it probably already makes sense, but, hmm. uh, but it's a little easier when it's, it's almost like a bonus. Uh, but I, but I do think the shark has been jumped. I mean, um, this is not a, a technology for, uh, for only high tech companies companies. I mean, it is at the point now where, where it is easier to use many of these technologies than, uh, than the stuff that's on-prem. There's not perhaps as much support for some of the, the usual ways of, of getting at our data. But if you're looking at like building something greenfield where, where um, anything's on the table, I mean, why wouldn't you go with something that automatically has SQL and REST why wouldn't you go with something that, that in a, you know, in spe specifically in Google's case or in Amazon's case has already got a lot of compute based products that just connect to it and work. So mm -hmm. I think, I think if there's a greenfield project today, um, it makes no sense to do that on prem. I think if you're somewhere in between, if, if you're somewhere in between, then, then there's, there's, there's Maybe inertia CFO to say like, it would be great if you could get rid of a bunch of servers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, so I think to, so to the point of like Greenfield stuff, I actually, because I totally agree with you, sort of like the, the notion of like waiting, waiting until those racks are fully depreciated is actually a big thing for a lot of companies. Yeah. Greenfield stuff, one of the things I think is actually really, really cool about our strategy is, you know, to make Greenfield projects go faster we're not just giving people like an empty box, right? We're, we have a whole bunch of public data that's actually useful data. It's actually up-to-date data um, that we just get, it's just there, like go ahead and use it. But then we've also got, we've got a couple of things that we started earlier this year um, in which we will just deliver data automatically to, to you in BigQuery, right? So if you're an AdWords customer or you're a DoubleClick customer or you're, you're an app on Play Store, um, we will just deliver that data to you like there it is like go ahead and query it um and then or google analytics um and then the other part of it is we're we're trying to do more of these sort of commercial data offerings where you're like oh like i need ticker data or i need news feeds or real estate prices um like the dan the fact that everybody is out there simultaneously developing solutions for all of these same things is kind of maddening yeah <laughs> yeah it's like kind of silly right like like why why not just like click a button and say like yes please give me the data like yeah I think, I think that for a greenfield thing it's kind of great because you could sort of say like oh i'm in marketing like give me adwords double click and youtube and i'll take this news feed cool like we've got our starter project now load in the data we care about 
I think I think what's what's very kind of relevant in that thing you Dan, Dan just said is that's a certain type of business, and and I think you know we always tend to sort of like think that everything that we're doing is is, is very kind of symptomatic of the industry. I mean, Stuart, Kevin, you know, we, we we've been to conferences where there'll be a bunch of kind of Oracle kind of DBAs there and managers running Oracle areas, and they do not buy you know, and it's not to knock Oracle, it's not for anybody, but people do not make these decisions based on technology choices generally. I mean, they they tend they they would do in a startup, and I think when it's in a, in a start, particularly in the ones I'm working in London. They all tend to be picking sort of like you know, Amazon or Google or whatever because they pick whatever is the most kind of agile, whichever makes sense, which is going to help them attract engineers and, and so on. But if you're running a kind of like a, you know, a, big, a big institute, a big thing in, in the States and you're maybe in the government or, or you're kind of like, the decisions they make are not based on technology and logic and so on, really. And so, you know, that's where it will be interesting when, for example, Oracle will bring out their own cloud service and, and you know, around data warehousing. And I guess it's why. I suppose there's the there's the kind of the natural conservatism you get with people where that's why you've got Snowflake. I mean, Snowflake, I love the people there, really good, but it shouldn't be there. And why 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 re-implement sort of foreign keys and stuff like that? Why re-implement things like that? It makes no sense. But actually, not everybody can or wants to move to the kind of the cutting edge stuff and, and running what would be like Oracle, but running in an elastic provision cloud and it has all the keys and stuff you're used to. That's what people want. I suppose that's why. In I'm fairness sorry. to Snowflake, those constraints are, are metadata only. They don't actually do yeah. anything. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not think it's a really clever middle ground. It's like, you can, yeah. Yeah, you can tell us. Cool. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that people have different appetites for taking on new things. And they, have, they make decisions based on things other than technical specs. And yeah. Really is, there's always, there's like faster horses is not an unrealistic yeah. expectation from people. Right? Like people, people want faster horses, people buy faster horses. And you know what? Like a faster horse is better than your current horse. Yeah. Well, for me, it's it's really um, uh, to your point, Mark, about you know, you know, like the enterprise customers are, mm. or at least certain enterprise customers are, are slow to move because they're so big. But when you get into do a project, and that's what most of us have yeah. done, um, yeah. it's still four and five person teams building data yeah. warehouses. But the decision process for buying this, I mean, these no, are, these I hear are, you. I hear these you. year contracts through kind of people like Accenture and so on. But one thing I think about the point you made about is this a, a new a new kind of set of technology? Is, is this uh, an evolution of what we got, or is it a new thing? Um, one thing I think is interesting is if you're a DBA who has come from a relational database world and you've looked at the relational data warehouses going into Hadoop and thought, I've missed the boat on that. You know, this is something that is completely different to what I've done. What I think about things like BigQuery, suddenly, you know, it's tabular, it's tables, it's, it's ETL and so on. And I think the heartening thing for people who are of a certain age, you know, I don't know how old, how old you are, but, you know, it's, it's possible to now, I think, go from being a DBA to working with things like BigQuery. I think in that respect, you can almost forget the stuff that's happened with Hadoop. So in that respect, I think it's quite heartening for people, actually, who have come from that world. There is a kind of path forward, really, for them. Yeah, I do. I like the idea of like, a, like that the cloud data warehouses, right, whether it's us or it's Snowflake or some others, mm -hmm. right, like to some extent we up-level DBAs, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're like you're a DBA, but like, you know what, you don't really have to worry about, you know, mm -hmm. query hints or building an index or any of these things. Like instead, worry about policy, like worry about who's accessing data, worry about your overall, overall estate. Hmm. And there was still an architecture part as well. So, yeah. I agree. I, I, there was a statistic some, some years ago, and it's probably, I don't know how relevant it is anymore, but certain, you know, portion of a DBA's time, and it was a large amount, was, was dealing with storage. Storage and hatches, right? Like, yeah. And, 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 and the thought that that just kind of disappears um, is, is it, it, it's silly that it was such a problem for so long because even just because storage was expensive doesn't mean you should page people in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. But now that it's cheap, um, you know, it's just, we, we, it, it changes so much that, um, that it, you know, and leveling up is a good way to put it, Dan, because, um, you know, I, unless you just really do love operational right. work, you want to be worried about backing up and yeah, um, like if, if your database is a pet, right, and and you enjoy doing all of the things with your pet, then yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think one thing that we do lack in this world, one of the problems with things like BigQuery or, or the kind of environments that run BigQuery, is that there are no DBAs there, and and it's almost like you know you wouldn't you the last thing they want there is a data warehouse designer or a DBA. 
And I think there are topics about things like, you know, the life cycle of data and governance of data and how do we kind of like assess whether or not this thing, you know, the performance is dropping over time. Things that we used to do apart from just kind of arranging stories. You know, how, how we reintroduce, how we reintroduce some of the kind of the ideas from, from the DBA world into here without it being kind of, because largely these are software engineers working with this. And well, and, and what, what happens well. with enterprise architecture, right? Like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a confession that like I'm a, just an incredibly boring individual. Like one of my, one of my favorite books of all time is Enterprise Architecture as Strategy. Um, <laughs> Which is literally like, how do you map like IT enterprise architecture to business strategy? It is, it is a thrilling read. <laughs> this well, is this is the other reason you're great at parties, Dan. <laughs> I get it. I mean, the green screen is the green screen potential is growing. Like my birthday, usually. Um, uh, but but like what I'm waiting for is like when like the guys who are the, the, the men and women out there who are enterprise architecture who are thinking about you know data management at the sort of enterprise level in its componentry and in the principles mm -hmm. of how you manage data like what I'm waiting for is like when do they start to have a large scale shift in their thinking in mm -hmm. The, the notion of sort of, you know, cheap and ubiquitous storage and, you know, things like HA being taken care of for you and automatic data delivery, when all of that is just a given, how do those, how do those architectures change? Hmm. Hmm. No, and, that, and that's a good point. And, and, I, and I wonder also in general, like, you know, so we've been talking, you know, sort of DBA level with, you know, we're talking about these as data warehouse projects you know, uh, platforms. There's other levels of the data warehouse that, that, that we all have worked in and, and all sort of participate in from, you know, the ETL side of things to the data modeling side of things. How, how much of this, you know, so, so you're talking about things like storage and backup being different. How much is the overall data warehouse stuff different? How much of that is, it, do you not think about in the same way? I mean, we're calling these data warehouse tools and, and we've mentioned Amazon, we've mentioned Snowflake, we'll talk about them in a bit, but what, are, are these the same data warehouses? Is it, you know, the whole, I, not my grand. I kind of don't think so. I like Mark probably has a more nuanced mm -hmm. take, but like for, for me, both as a user of, of a data warehouse and as a person sort of giving best practice recommendation for how to use a given system, I feel like my answers are different now than they used to be. Um, like uh, a really a really common one I have now, which is not a thing I used to used to necessarily say before, is like, whatever, materialize it somewhere. Like, like, like don't join those. That's what I was gonna say, Dan. That's one hundred percent what I was gonna say. We used to we used to aggregate reactively, and now mm -hmm. we aggregate proactively. Yeah, um, just in case. Because well, it's mm -hmm. cheap. it's cheap to store it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We, Dan and I discussed this in the podcast we've called it recently. And, and so, so some things are less relevant. So that's still managing storage, obviously, is, is less relevant. I think that you have to think about table design and so on. I think it actually there's a huge danger that you make a mistake going into this coming from a, coming from a data warehouse world in that you think about things being fact tables, dimension tables, and, and so on. And I think that you know you can, you you need to think about things. You need to think about how things work well in a in a in a distributed system. So you know large single tables and so on. Um, I think that you have there again. There's some skills though that, that are relevant. So performance tuning. So and, or, or or performance assessment. You know I think people people have forgotten sometimes how to look at whether this query is going to is running fast, is running slow, is getting worse, and, and so on there. Um, the thing that is the real Wild West, though, I mean, actually, you know, you generally can get away with most things, really, with kind of things like BigQuery. Generally, it's very kind of forgiving and so on. But where is it, I find things are a total mess, is in sort of ETL orchestration and so on. And with this, I mean, there's a concept of, of, of kind of, you know, data engineers. You've got software engineers doing this. Everybody writes their own ETL framework, and everyone writes their own kind of uh, orchestration framework. Nobody thinks about things in advance, so everybody sort of. And to your point, Stuart, about materialization, it does have an impact because the more of these things that you materialize and do, the more kind of like you know, the, the slower you can move going forward. And I think that it, it's, it's maybe it's maybe it's the fact that the place I'm working, the volume of data is so big. But I think that you, I think where you can come unstuck is in the ETL phase. That that for me 
is how you how you orchestrate this and do that for me is where you come unstuck. Well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's interesting because I feel like the ETL tool providers, right? Because like we'd be used to seeing an Informatica or a Talent or a Pentaho in this space. And like I, they're I think they're starting to play in this space better than they used to. But I think they're only just now realizing, to Mark's point, that like data model matters perhaps differently than, yeah. you can't simply say like, well, that's, you know, fax dimensions, move fax dimensions, mm -hmm. well, good. There is this notion of like, should that dimension be an array? Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. and like, I think there's a downstream question too about sort of composability of SQL, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I have all of you tried to use our, our array syntax? Yeah, it was. It was, sorry? Your like, array syntax. Uh, array SQL. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that we talked about it on, on my, on my Yeah, like it's, I, like, you know, the first few times around, like it's a little brain melting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, one of the points I would make about the ETL though, Mark, is that even though in some ways it feels like everyone's stepping back with code, or, mm -hmm. or building their own frameworks, the amount of innovation that's occurred in some of those frameworks is, 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 is uh, impressive because one of the things we got wrong in traditional ETL is orchestration. I mean, mm -hmm. for years and years, we have these batch processes that run all of these things, go mm -hmm. to a next step, run all of these things. And the idea of the, of the DAG-based uh, mm -hmm. processing or, or graph-based processing that all of these framework ha frameworks have is, is just sort of pointing a finger at, at how inefficiently we've done things for 20 years because we've adopted these tools. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways I, I get what you're saying, Mark, that, that, you, you know, some of this consolidation around tools is good, um, mm -hmm. predictable and all mm -hmm. of that, but, but some of the innovation that's occurred and some of these small, barely used uh, mm -hmm. processing frameworks, that, mm -hmm. that not because they're necessarily faster, but because the way they approach uh, mm -hmm. orchestration, either by streaming or by DAG, mm -hmm. means that you load everything, you know, in one hundredth of the time. And I think that that I, yeah. I, I'm excited for when that starts, kind of starts to, when we start to see some major players using those approaches. Yeah, I mean, I've been using I've been using Apache Airflow. We've been using we started with something called DBT, which came from uh, which came from. Uh, Fish, fish town, fish town analytics as well. Fish camp. Yeah, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, and this is probably the same with every change in, in technology over the years, is that the new, the new when, the, when the PC makers took over from the mainframes and minis and so on, there were no doubt lots and lots of skills there, lots and lots of things that people kind of like just had to relearn, really. And I think for, for me, it's been interesting coming into this world from the old world. I think the way that you put these things across, the way that you think about them is interesting. I think, like you say, Things like orchestration is different and so on. It's how you kind of use, it's how you then introduce some of these concepts in, but also realize that some things have changed. I think this kind of data flow style processing and, and kind of things like Kafka and so on there, they probably are quite different to doing things like used to do Informatica. So it's trying to remember some things are eternal truths, some things have changed forever, really. You know, and I think back to the point about BigQuery, I think what's changed forever is I would never go and install servers myself and actually kind of, you know, I would never run my own servers anymore. And that's a kind of interesting change. No more Do servers in March. I know. Oh, I had loads of them. His wife can pull the car in now, so she's. Uh, <laughs> I, know. I know. I know. It was. It, I think what was interesting talking to the guys at Qubit, you know, it was would you, if you if you started from scratch, would you've gone through that evolution through Redshift, through HBase, and so on, or would you've gone straight to straight to BigQuery? And unanimously, was we've just gone straight to BigQuery. There's no point going through the early phases. Right. That's interesting because they started in the cloud and moved to on-prem based on mm -hmm. uh, the, the wonders of big data technology, then found mm -hmm. themselves right back in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Now, you might question the, the cloud technology they, they chose being more relational and, and less sort of distributed. Yeah, well, it was they're, distributed. they're distributed, but I'm, I'm not trying to pick on um, yeah. Redshift. But I think that the move on-prem from what, you know, just the discussions I've had with you, the move on-prem mm -hmm. was about trying to be more distributed. And in the end... Um, they became more distributed when they went back to the cloud, correct? It was, it was because of concurrency. So the, the issue with Redshift really is around concurrency. And, yeah. and I think you hit that, you hit scale issues and so on there. What they did was went on-premise and used HBase, and they had about 10,000 servers there. But that just the sheer, and that gave them the kind of the speed of processing and the, and the, and the, and the low latency. But running, running 10,000 servers, even when, you know, they, they've got kind of failover and so on. It's ridiculous. And you spend well, all these... And let's be, let's be very honest, right? Like the H-based data model is not the easiest one to comprehend. 
it's, it's kind of it's yeah exactly exactly yeah so so we're getting into this a little bit talking about redshifts you know when we think of sort of cloud data warehouse products redshift is certainly one that comes to mind along with BigQuery, snowflakes up there there's probably a few others that that people could name yeah sql data warehouse do we think of all of these the same? Are, are they the same? Should they be thought of differently? Are they being sort of unnaturally lumped into a kind of industry category that isn't quite the same as lumping, you know, or I think, with Cognos and business objects? Do we need to think of them differently? So I'll, I'll take a stab at this initially. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at, uh, at sort of, I'll leave Redshift to the side for a second. If you look at BigQuery, Snowflake, and then also sort of Athena, which, you know, Amazon's packaging up Redshift and Athena together, plus Spectrum. So we'll, we'll probably see some interesting things there. But I think the idea of object store-based uh, um, processing and not block storage-based processing is a big one. And I don't believe Redshift is on object store. I believe it's on block store. I could be wrong. So I think that's a really big one. And that's what we learned from, even though you know, Hadoop was not object store based, I think what we learned from Hadoop was, was that we don't need these massive online, uh, ever present, cached SQL engines. Um, we just need to spin up local uh, mem memory based processes to go get data because we're not running transactions in general. We're just not- do, Just do lots of really big parallel scans. And there you go. And so I think, I think that where they all sort of, and I'll put Snowflake in there, although it's sort of the outlier and I'll, and, and I'll explain that in just a mm -hmm. second. But you, what, when you put them, everything besides Redshift together as object store based, and because of that um, distributed, um, even from compute to storage distributed, I think that's what's really interesting about how they're similar. I think Redshift is not that way. I think the way they're separate in a lot of ways is, is how, how the SQL engine really exists. So, um, you know, Snowflake from, from day one was a, you know, true ANSI, uh, that was the focus. Let's build, let's build an engine that maybe uses object storage and distributed nature, but SQL was sort of the name of the game. Yeah. Where I think, well, I think BigQuery is kind of SQL on top, and it's gonna uh, it's gonna evolve over time. But SQL is not quite as strong, so I, I think that's kind of where they where they diverge. Well, it's kind of it's worth actually just sort of thinking about the SQL piece of it, right? Um, you know, we we've been, we've taken a lot of pains in the last year or so to change our SQL dialect. Yeah, um, and, and a lot of that, I mean, I think speaks to sort of the culture at Google, right? Which is like there are lots of databases at Google, lots of people mm -hmm. with SQL engines, and everybody mm -hmm. kind of feels like. Yeah, I know what SQL is. Like, I know what the, the optimal SQL dialect is. And it turns out that's not true. Nobody actually does. <laughs> so we actually, we went, we went through a big effort internally to actually create our own internal standard that mirrors ANSI, right? And so now BigQuery and Spanner speak the same dialect, right? It is ANSI 11 and it's in what it tries to comply with. And like, to, to Stuart's point, like the Snowflake guys were like, no, 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 we know SQL standards matter. Like, we're going to start there, right? Yeah. And I think I think that that takes a lot of initial risk out for people who are trying to compare. I mean, yeah. to, to my mind, it does. We talk about you know, Redshift versus whatever, whatever. The whole point of this is it's just a service. So it's a SQL. It's a it's a data warehouse to service. And, and I think actually the pertinent bit the, the pertinent bit here is it doesn't really matter what they work. Yeah, you know, if you use if you use Snowflake, if you use Oracle's you know DW Cloud Service when it comes out, if you use kind of like BigQuery, it's just SQL really. And and the more they support anti-sequel and so on, that's the point. And, and I think, you know, back to Stuart's point earlier on, what's interesting here is that we've had this kind of world of cloud, okay, and we've had this world of, of kind of Hadoop, and neither of the two of them have been the kind of the full solution. But what's interesting is as Hadoop moves into the cloud, it just becomes distributed computer storage, and it just becomes a, a distributed SQL engine. It does, you know, it just be, that, that's the future, really. And it doesn't matter how it runs under the covers. The fact that Google can scale more and it could do more concurrent, well, great. But actually, at some point in the future, that will change to something else, like Gemma X or whatever. But it will just still be SQL. So that's the great thing. It's just that is purely a data warehouse SQL engine as a service. And so, I'll add one caveat, which is REST. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, REST access to, to mm -hmm. analytics uh, data sets is very valuable as well. And I think the fact that REST is, is being grouped in with SQL 
hmm. adds a lot of other capabilities. Oh, yeah, and you get, when for us, you know, you have to have an API, right? Like we, we, yeah. we serve up web, web, web APIs. That's what we do, right? And so hmm. even when you send us SQL, you're sending it through a REST call. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if what I'm hearing you say, Mark, is, is that in some ways, you know, we shouldn't think of them differently because they all are a service that are all viable to use in their own right for their own purposes. Hmm. So then mm. what, what, what do we look to, to, to set them apart? And I'll kind of lob a softball here to Dan for Google and that, you know, when you've got data flow, when you've got data studio, all of that, um, and, and I'm not even naming all of the products within GCP's anal, big data analytics stack, but the combination of all those together, kind of on a single security model from the same vendor, there is, there's sort of a, I don't want to, sort of put you into the enterprise class, but there's that, that sort of highly integrated Oracle-esque model over there, right? Yeah. Whereas if I am Snowflake, I've got to then go buy another tool to, to do data manipulations. I've got to buy another tool to do BI. Um, or even Amazon, even Amazon who has all these services, they, they don't really have the concept of the project that Google has. So I still have to go nuts with all the security groups and-, and Figure out and, how to make that VPC just right to make everything yeah. talk. Whereas with Google, if there's one thing I would say about Google that's head and shoulders, not just because you're here, Dan, but, but head and <laughs> shoulders above the other providers is that if I add these things to a project, they just work together. And yeah. I mean, that I is credit for the project's idea. Like that existed yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but is that, is that what we look for in a differentiator? And I'm not saying Amazon, no. their own differentiators and, and that they're, you know, Snowflake doesn't have their own, but is that, is that something that you turn to? I mean, you know, Mark, Mark, I think the company that you're working with actually put Looker on top of BigQuery instead of Data Studio. Yeah, I mean, to, 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 be, to be honest, you, the point you made about it's just one integrated site. When you say that about Oracle, you say that about Microsoft, you can say that about anything really. Yeah, they, they all have integrated service on a slide, right? Yeah, so, so, so that is, and that, that is, that's good, but it's not a differentiator. Everyone can do that really. What, what well, not everyone can. I mean, well, okay, but I'd say that it's not gonna, it's not the one thing that's, I mean, the, the reason that the company I'm working at chose to work with Google in this case was not because of that and, and everything else, it was because everything else scaled up with the kind of the, 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 the database. So when, when kind of, when, when extra kind of like, when, when extra traffic came into their system and BigQuery would scale up, also PubSub would scale up, Cloud Dataflow would scale up. All that stuff, and it was—it was—it's no good having your database elastically scalable if all your ETL and everything else is all kind of is is all on premise or is all based on servers and so on. And it was the fact that everything scaled at the same time that that was the key thing, really. And it's, that, yeah. that was differentiating, really. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a huge uh, Hadoop cluster or a BigQuery cluster or whatever mm -hmm. that's that's you know massively scaled, but you're still <laughs> loading everything through a mm -hmm. T2 EC2 instance running Informatica. Then, uh, then absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to, yeah. There's, there's a bandwidth issue. So, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I guess I have a. I, I mean, I think Mark's point about scalability, I think, is, I think it's really important. But I actually think, in my mind, it actually is like a subclass of like what the, I think the actual differentiation is: is which provider, or which service, lets you actually go do the thing you wanted to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a lot of cases, I think of BigQuery as like removing impediments from people actually doing what they wanted to do, mm -hmm. um, which is I, query. Yeah, or 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 not even query. Like I need to I needed to analyze some data. Like I I analyzed the thing, right? Or um, I needed to you know mash up these two pieces of data. I did it. I think when I think about the future of what we want to offer, you know, in terms of bringing more data sets automatically, in terms of like adding machine learning, like all of these things, I think are targeted at you have some stuff you want to do. Can I make that? Can I get you to the goal of doing what you wanted to do faster? Wow. Right? And, and for, for an organization like Qubit, maybe it's like, look at, like, we've got a big business that's growing and scaling. Huh. We've got to focus on that, take care of the rest. It, you know, it could be to someone else, like, hey, man, like, I just, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't even know what ETL is. I just need to join my ads data with my sales data. Like, mm -hmm. is that for me? Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, that, that's the thing, really. So it allows you to get on with it, really, which is the key thing. And, and you know, working again in the, in the startup space where you do, you know, you're working with these kind of three-month iterations. I mean, we're, you know, we're releasing new iterations of products within three months. And you can't spend two months of that, you know, so doing server, server yeah, hardware. Yeah. That sort of thing. That, that's the kind of background, really. It's just, it's a no-brainer in that kind of world. 
All right. Well, I think we could go on for much, much longer. <laughs> we, we need a part two. We'll have a part two soon. In the we'll interest, part, I would do a part two. In the interest of uh, keeping everybody's schedule intact here, I'm going to turn it over to Stuart now for buy sell. Good conversation, though. Yeah, thanks, guys. I, I'll just say that the, the the funnest part of this was every time Dan would say Greenfield instead of, instead of that green. Because <laughs> you know there's going to be a green field behind me pretty soon, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to get years worth of fun out of that, basically. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so the reason Kevin uh, handed the virtual mic to me was uh, to do the section we call uh, Buy Sell. Uh, and, uh, and basically, I'm just going to make a statement, um, and it will be one, two, three, four, very controversial, each and every one of them. Um, and basically, uh, you make a, you just make a stick your, stick your flag in the, in the, in the dirt and say you buy or you sell it and give us a little, uh, explanation why. So everybody ready? Sounds good. I'm going to go Dan, cause I don't know how it looks on Kevin's screen. Who's actually recording. Mm -hmm. For me, It's Dan, Mark, Kevin. So that's the order we'll go. So first, first statement, uh, to you first, Dan. Any person incapable of coding is irrelevant in modern analytics practices. So, so we we'll have tools to do it for you. Not yet. Not yet, but we will. Okay. So, there, is there a gap? Is there some time between? Uh, yeah, between totally. The relevancy. Right? I mean, I think you know, I think, you know, modern BI tools and reporting tools are kind of maybe the first start of this. Spreadsheets are there, right? We're going to get things that, that allow people to code even if they don't realize they're coding. Right. Over to you, Mark. Well, no, it's obviously a painfully ridiculous kind of statement to make. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's to the point of, of, of yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So, that's how you really feel, Mark. If you were going, if you were going, for, a, if you were going for a job, and you wanted to kind of get some skills to be a, 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 an analyst or, or whatever, then obviously being able to code stuff and so on. But there's so much more to analytics than just coding. You know, there's so much more to understanding what you're trying to achieve out of it, understanding um, what are the success factors for a project. I don't mean that in a kind of a hand-wavy way, but knowing what, what question you're trying to answer. The amount of times I've seen people doing analytics work gather tons of data and not actually have any idea what question they're trying to answer. So I think analytics is a big, is a broad enough area to, to, to encompass lots of different things. If there's a kind of colouring in stuff that, that Kevin does with data visualisations and that sort of thing, and there's interpretation and, and, and so on. So yeah, clearly it's a useful skill to have, but it's not to say there's no value. In, 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 there's so much more to it just that. In the future, we will all be either coders or marketers. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Kevin, over to you. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll put a little twist on this and, and, and I'll buy it with the sort of premise that coding can be sort of applied very broadly, right? I mean, there, there's knowing every little arcane function in Excel and how the syntax of those all work and, and using them properly to manipulate data to, to produce something in Excel could, could be a very... I mean, I'm, I'm stretching a little here, but a widely interpreted uh, sort of form of coding, right? So, I, I, you know, I, I, I do think data, working with data is a, um, you know, is, is a type of exercise that does sort of lend itself toward mm -hmm. the notion of coding if you take that very sort of loosely. So okay. I'll, I'll, buy it on a different twist. Excellent. So the next one. So here's, the, here's statement two. We are fast approaching or maybe have already approached or will approach soon. The last greenfield implementation of analytics on traditional on-prem relational technology and frankly, good riddance. Uh, bye, actually. Yeah, um, not that I don't think those engines are, are going to evolve, but I, I don't see any reason anyone would need to stand this up themselves on premise themselves. Um, do you guys remember the old uh, Watson statement? You know, you know, it doesn't matter how big the computer is, there are only gonna be five that matter. Yeah. Like, I'm um, not saying five that matter, but like I think you can count them on two hands. Um. Okay, so I would disagree. I mean, Stuart and I famously disagreed with every single thing we used to talk about back at our old company. Um, but Why start now? I think, first of all, I think there are some things that relational, I mean, there's some things that the likes of Oracle and, and IBM do really well. 
And I think that, you know, if you, and I, I wrote a blog post recently about analytic views that come with your open database. And, and yes, okay, it's probably, to, it's probably a bit flogging a dead horse there in some respects, but, it's, but the technology, the relational engine technology in there, you try and do a join of two big tables in, 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 a, in a kind of an engine-like kind of big query, and, and suddenly you realize that, you know, there are, each, each approach has its own kind of, uh, has its own limitations. So traditional relational database technology is very good for doing analytics on structured data like you get from, say, ERP systems and so on. Um, also, the cost of stuff in the cloud can add, can add up as well. And obviously, Oracle's not a good example because you know, that can add up as well. <laughs> but the problem you get in startups particularly is because there's very little friction to spending more money all the time uh, with, with platforms, you tend to spend money rather than actually do things efficiently. So, so and, and there's a bit of a kind of a meme going on now within kind of startups, how we saved a million on this, how we saved a million on that. Because, the, you know, so I do think that doing things on premise for security and for, for, for you know, for specialist engines can make sense. But longer term, I think a bit like saying everyone, well, mainframes are still probably the best implementation of certain technology you get, but no one's going to do that now. Um, but don't write off the relational databases yet. I think there is, they still do some certain things quite well. Yeah, and, and, and I'll sell, and it's, and it's not just about Mark's comment about sort of um, capabilities of the platforms, mm -hmm. but, but I think there's also still just a very slow boil to get everybody there. Um, I think whether it's a company that for regulatory reasons can't put their data in the cloud, uh, whether it's a company that, you know, was founded by mom and pa 120 years ago, and they've been really good at doing this one little thing and why change, um, you know, mentality to, you know, I, I, think, I, I think we are absolutely seeing mm. more and more organizations now, to, to Stuart's point about the sort of hardware mm. refresh time, hey, let's start thinking about cloud. Hey, my CFOs, CFOs tell me to go to the cloud. My CIOs tell me to go to the cloud. That's mm. definitely happening, but I think, the last greenfield implementation on premise, I, I think, is still a long ways away. Okay, good. I'd hate to work on it though. That'd be a nightmare. But yeah, yeah I think it'll, it'll always be there, really. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, we have something in the NFL draft called Mr. Relevant. So it's the last guy taking taken in the whole draft. How'd you like mm. to be the last greenfield implementation of analytics in the world? Well, there's money there. There's money there. We can wait unfortunately still. I think a woman do it though. So just a couple more, one, one serious one. And then of course, cause I have Mark on the, on the line, I gotta, I gotta make fun of him. So we got one after that. <laughs> so so the, here's the last serious one. Uh, when your analytics practice works effectively, no one is interested in self-service. Mm. So, and, and I mean, I, my, my viewpoint is totally skewed, right? In so much as like, I live in a place in which like, the analytic process is like, I don't know, go analyze it. But I yeah, think everybody analyze, everybody anal analyzing is like taking, take, you know, your own, doing your own word processing, right? Yeah. yeah um, like, oh, you want to know, do it. Go, go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Well, okay. I I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm disagreeing with everything you say, but it's, <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> these are not my opinions. No, I mean, yeah. when you think about you, you, when you, when you want to do some analysis, you, you, you kind of, I'd say that you wouldn't necessarily be doing it in the way we do it now, but arguably you could say when an analytics department is fully functional, you wouldn't know it's there. So I think the trick to it is, is, is being there and providing the kind of the backdrop and the governance, not the governance, but the support and so on, so people can do their own analysis, maybe using it by asking an Amazon Alexa, you know, what are my sales kind of figures and so on. Um, but actually, I think in a way, a good analytics department will become invisible in the same way that you know, technology in general becomes invisible. But I think certainly it's needed. But whether it's going to be sort of front and centre and doing everything, I don't think that's natural. I think people will want to do things themselves and, and will always kind of have, have this. There's always more demand and there'll be the capacity to do that. Really. Yeah, I mean, I'll sell to just some of it comes down to culture, right? Like not not every organization is set up to be like what Dan described at Google, right? They, they don't have the people with the skills. And so it becomes more critical in an organization like that for them to hmm. kind of make it like what Mark said, where they can ask Alexa, right? But on the same token, there are going to be those other companies where it is in their DNA and their culture um, to 
okay, I'm going to facilitate you guys doing this yourself and, and have at it. And there'll probably be a mix, right? So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it has to be kind of either or binary like that. I think it's it, it comes to me like you guys are both a hold, neither a buy nor a sell. Yeah. So, well, so thanks, I'm selling. Thanks for adopting the spirit of Stewart's statement <laughs> is what I'm selling. So, so just so you know, Mark, of the, uh, of the last, all the statements before this one, mm -hmm. these weren't my opinions. These are just, I'm making a statement. Uh, now, this one is actually my opinion. Yes. <laughs> so the one coming up is, is actually my opinion. So you ready, Mark? So we're going to go okay, ahead. First. Um, the only thing sillier than drinking hot tea all day is actually asking Alexa to brew it for you. Well, there we go. There we go. Well, actually, I, well, so the context for this is my, my <laughs> dabbling with that, with my dabbling with fame. Um, a year ago. <laughs> I, actually I actually officially had too much time on my hands and uh, I managed to kind of automate everything. I actually was on TV here recently as well. I had a TV program that had me on there and so on. Um, what, what, what's, so to your point, first of all, everything that's gone, you can see everything that's gone wrong in America since, since independence, you can, you, can, you can put down to not drinking tea. If it's too much coffee, you'll get too excited. You're too much kind of stress. You should have kept on drinking tea and it all worked out really well for you. And you think if you look at Canada, Canada is what America could have been in that respect. You know, um, do you think that I had tea today, by the way, just, just saying. Yeah. Do you think but, but, that but, but, what, what, I'm, what I'm doing now is, is the latest thing I'm doing is actually looking at using Google Assistant fine enough to be an interface into the stuff we're doing on BigQuery. So the ability, I think, to back to Stuart's point about no one wants to do analysis. They don't. No one wants to do analysis, but they want to be able to say to something, you know, how, uh, classically, how are sales doing? Or what is there, uh, is there something unusual happening today? And I think that natural language interfaces, things like Google Assistant and so on, that's where it's going. And actually, that actually was the reason I was doing all this stuff back in the past, is to bring some data to it, but try and use one of those interfaces to try and get that to be my interface into analytics. And, and so it's one of the posts it behind me on the, on the, on the thing there. And, and you, are, you are not the only BigQuery user interested yeah. in that, right? That is, yeah. that, is, yeah. that, is, that is a thing we have maybe had researchers look at. Yeah, so I use the I use the natural language API to, 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 to sort of classify stuff coming in, and I use, I'm planning on using uh, you know, this. Uh, to actually kind of do my analysis, really, and that plus a Roomba as well and a kettle, so uh, that's my kind of plan. So Dan, if you want to answer in a serious tone around, uh, you kind of did, or you can you can pass. But well, no, um, I was actually I was I was actually going to answer in a semi silly uh, tone. Like, I'm going okay. to have to sell your statement in part because like Mark's blog posts is are great press for BigQuery. Okay. So I, I need him to keep drinking robot tea. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. Take it. Take it wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't even remember what the statement was. The only thing sillier than drinking hot tea all day mm. is actually asking Alexa to brew it for you. Uh, well, asking Alexa—that's the problem. I mean, there you go. It should, it should obviously not be Alexa that you're asking. But uh, okay. No, I mean, I, 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 I will. I will, I will sell it from the standpoint that I think natural language interfaces will become a part of what we do. What I'm not entirely sort of sold on is that we're gonna all have these sort of speakers sitting around our businesses and our house and just be constantly shouting things at them. Um, because I think there's a social dynamic there that's, that's complicated to um, work out. That being said, uh, you know, the, the day that, that we've got C-3PO walking around with us and, and, you know, he can help answer some of those questions for us is, is, is another element entirely, I think. Um, so let me just kind of put one final question out to the, to the group. So do we think that sort of our, our obsession with visualizations, uh, tools that visualize data will, will sort of start, go the way of the dodo as, no. As we can have narratives with, with No, uh, I think it's I think it's pictures and speech. I think it's the combination. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I, I don't think it there is just one and, and just like there's not you know, there will be some people who will not want to analyze and will be perfectly happy to just get top level sales number by asking something to someone or something. Uh, on the same token, there there are people who love analyzing data and getting into the, the, the nitty gritty of the whys and the hows and all that stuff. And so in the same token, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be a different platform for people to, you know, facilitate that, that type of uh, 
analysis or exercise, but it won't be for everyone. Uh, the thing about visualizations is interesting because the, the place I'm working at at the moment, they've been through this where they, they've had visualizations in the platform, they've had things there, and the problem is always about actionability. You know, it's the what do you do next bit, really. And, and right. I think that the, the, the criticism that I've heard, and I think is valid with, with, data, with data visualization tools, is the so, is the so what thing. So what? what? What do you do with it? And, and, and I think data storytelling is good because obviously you're kind of selling the narrative there. But I think that where where that falls down, where data visualization falls down, is it often just kind of presents you with something interesting. But what what do you do? And, and yeah. so I, I you got to have it. You got to have it as an element or, uh, of the context. It has to be part of a workflow. It has to be part of a workflow, and ideally something after it to to help you interpret it. Really, you know. Right. But I think it's good to have it there. But I think it has a danger of falling short and, and stopping at the point where it could be useful to a lot of people. Really. But other than that, I mean, compared to where we were a year ago. The prevalence of using this and doing it wisely is, is good for it. Hey guys, I apologize. I've got to run away. Well, we're done. done. All so right. I want to thank Stan. Thank, yeah, thank Dan and Mark. Appreciate it. We'll wrap this up quick so you can run. Uh, for Real Time BI with Kevin and Stuart, I'm Kevin McGinley. Stuart Bryson. Thanks for thank watching, everyone. Thank you. Thanks.